0: This morning we open the Word of God in the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians chapter 3 however in connection with the law I was also going to read to you and with you from Exodus chapter 34 the verses 29 through 35 I would still as yet like to do that because it show Shows so clearly what we will also read about in 2 corinthians chapter 3 so i first read from exodus 34 the verses 29 through 35 when moses came down from mount sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward all the people of Israel came near, And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. That's our passage in Exodus 34. We now come to our Scripture reading from the New Testament to Corinthians chapter 3. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So far the reading of God's holy word. Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 84, the stanzas 4 and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Today, brothers and sisters, we celebrate Pentecost, the feast of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. With it, the new and last dispensation began. What great and glorious things God is going to do to and with his congregation during this dispensation. The Spirit gives life. Paul writes in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 3 is the gospel of Pentecost, not any less than Acts 2. In this chapter, Paul describes Pentecost activities in the city of Corinth. Just have a look in this city, and you will see the one work of the Spirit after the other. Then you read a letter of Christ there. Written not with regular ink, but with the ink of the Spirit. Written not on parchment, but in the hearts. Indeed, what great work of the Spirit a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ is. What mighty work of grace such a congregation is, beloved, as fruit of the apostolic preaching, as fruit of the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 8. Or is that not something great? To belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, both in life and death, once and for all. To be his people, people of God. It sure is a privilege, a work of the Spirit indeed. Yes, it is the task of the Holy Spirit to bring the church to Christ and to make their hearts warm for the Lord Jesus. It is His ministry of grace to revive in His own church the love which so easily withers in the heart of His people. He is coming to His church to incite her to service in freedom, not in fear, and with gladness. The Spirit gives life in God's communion for God's glory to God's children. That's the real life, a living church. That's the true life the Holy Spirit has been working since Pentecost. I proclaim to you the Word of God in our text, summarizing it as follows. Pentecost, the day of our uninhibited freedom of intimacy with God. We see, first of all, the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ Secondly, the freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, the freedom by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I summarize the message of our text as follows. Pentecost, the day of our uninhibited freedom of intimacy with God. We see the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ in our text brothers and sisters the Apostle Paul begins his summarizing conclusion by saying now the Lord is the Spirit of course that does not mean that for Paul the Lord and the Holy Spirit are one and the same person however Paul wants to stress that in the new dispensation Christ and the Spirit cannot be separated. For it is through Christ's death and resurrection that this new dispensation came about. In his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2, therefore, Peter points at the Christ continuously. He who was nailed to the cross and died, but was raised by God, he is at work here. Peter asserts, He has poured out this which you see and hear. Pentecost is the feast of Christ, the feast of the exalted Lord who poured out His Spirit. Where the Christ is preached, the Holy Spirit is coming. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, Paul adds, there is freedom. Where Christ is accepted through the Spirit, there the much-desired gift of freedom will come too. Young people also, who often crave freedom strongly, will find it truly in the freedom of God's children. That's what young people come to realize too, especially when they try to seek the artificial freedom first, trying to get a taste of the fake freedom of the world, which is slavery to the evil one. What is entailed in this freedom, beloved, we see clearly in the context of 2 Corinthians 3. There the Apostle Paul contrasts two dispensations. The dispensation of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. The former is determined by the preaching of the law, the latter by the preaching of Christ. Actually, the dispensation of the law was a glorious matter. For did not God give his law for a rich purpose? In his life in the covenant with his people, he gave his law to regulate the communion with him, the intimacy with the Lord. God wanted to dwell among his people. The law was the framework for the Emmanuel relationship. That this was a glorious matter indeed showed in the reflection of God's glory on Moses' face. The recipients of this ministry, however, the people of Israel, could not handle this glory. Although they were grateful for their freedom from bondage to Pharaoh, they were not ready to live for the Lord to serve him. When the Lord came down to them to speak to them as his own people, they fled for the mountain, asking Moses to represent them in this intimate contact with the Lord. And when the Lord wanted to come down and dwell in their midst, they preferred the image of the golden calf, exposing themselves to the fire of God's indignation. Evidently, an intimate life in freedom with the Lord failed. The Lord had to create distance between himself and his people by means of the covering on Moses' face. They could not bear the glory of the Lord. They could not grasp the law of the Lord. Their hearts were covered because of a wrong spirit. Their hearts feared and trembled due to this law of death, this law that kills. That's where the dispensation of the New Testament comes in, beloved. For it is the dispensation of the ministry of Christ. That means it is the ministry of justification the ministry of the acquittal of our sins it is the ministry of the spirit that's paul's exclamation in the gospel of pentecost the spirit gives life verse 6 moses went up to god to the, up the mountain to god and came back with the law the glory's law, in order to administer it to God's people. But the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven to God and returned to his own in the Holy Spirit to administer the Holy Spirit to them through his apostles and their successors. In this ministry of Christ and the Spirit, much is the same as in the Old Testament. This, too, is the ministry of the Emmanuel gospel, the Emmanuel relationship, God dwelling among us. In this ministry, the law is maintained. The freedom of Christ in this dispensation, often called Christian freedom, is not that God's children now determine themselves how to serve the Lord and what is right or wrong, as has often mistakenly been claimed. On the contrary, in the freedom of Christ, believers come to the Lord with the righteousness of Christ, in the peace of Christ, desiring to live in the obedience of Christ. In it, the gospel of the glory of Christ is seen. Hence, it does not kill, but points out the way of life, The Lord is the Spirit in order to understand the Scriptures. In Christ, the eyes of the hearts are opened as he manifested so clearly to the men of Emmaus. By the Spirit of Christ, the Scriptures open the way to the freedom of Christ. Where the Spirit is, a slave with the soul of a slave, is changed to a free man, to a free woman, who no longer is enslaved to the powers of sin, but begins a new life. This freedom is not an ideal that is craved by sinful people, but a gift of grace that is used by believing people. It is the freedom of Christ which opens the way to God. It is the freedom of Christ which removes all coverings from our eyes and hearts, making an uninhibited intimacy with the Lord possible, fails our rent, dividing walls crumble. That's the freedom of Christ, of the Spirit of Christ, The freedom of sons and daughters of God. The freedom of your God indeed. So therefore we see in the second place that it is the freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it is by the ministry of this gospel of the glory of Christ, beloved, that Paul established the congregation of Christ at Corinth. That doesn't mean that with much talking and visiting, he managed to get a circle of people around him who agreed with him. No, if that were the Church of Christ, the devil would have no problem with it, and the world would realize that soon as well. No, the Church of Christ consisted of people who now enjoyed this freedom in Christ. No longer were they slaves to the devil. Neither did they belong to the world. But bought as they were by Christ's blood, they were moved by Christ's spirit. And what a difference that made. The Holy Spirit applied the power of Christ's resurrection so that these believers rose to a new life. Then these brothers and sisters there could do something Adam and Eve could do as well. Walk with the Lord. Yes, continuously they could meet him in the ministry of the word and the sacraments and the prayers and in their daily life in the fear of his name. Then they could see the same as Moses could see. The glory of the Lord in his saving and redeeming grace in their life you know, beloved, and then something happens. Never does any meeting with God leave a man untouched. Even when someone has met him once in his word or in the church and forgets about him quickly again, such a meeting does have consequences. It does not leave him unaffected. However, When someone has met the Lord in his life and has seen his glory in Jesus Christ, something similar happens as what happened with Moses. Only when Moses returned to the people of Israel did he have to cover his face. However, whenever he met with the Lord in the tent of meeting, he removed this face covering and spoke with the Lord face to face, as a friend to a friend. That's when his face reflected and radiated the glory of the Lord. Now that's what happens with all true believers who by a true faith in Christ walk with God. Then we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. We all, young and old, office bearers and members in the congregation, in Christ, receive the freedom to approach God and reflect his glorious saving saving grace in our daily life. That changes us completely. By faith in Christ, brothers and sisters, God's children become united with Christ more and more through His Holy Spirit. They share in His anointing by faith, His anointing with the Holy Spirit, that is, so that they grow in Christ, in the knowledge of Christ. And this reflects in their whole life. They start to show the features of Christ. And his image in the goodness, love, mercy, faithfulness, steadfastness, which they display. In one word, they show the work of the Spirit. Or as Paul portrays it in Galatians 5, they show the fruit of the Spirit in their love. Their joy, their peace, their patience, their kindness, their goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can see that. Otherwise, they are no true Christians. They become readable letters of Christ, as Paul puts it. That's normal for them. That's their new life in Christ. Then in that newness of life, they go to God also, all the time. Whether they are discouraged or exuberant, defeated or confident, hopeful or disheartened, but to the light they go. In Christ they go. They are children at home, at God's house, just like Moses used to be. You all know, beloved, what effect the discovery of this Christ had on the life of his disciples. Remember how they exclaimed to one another, We have found him! We have found the Messiah! Nathanael got all excited about it. Never did anyone speak to me this way, he said. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you, people exclaimed. Blessed is everyone who hears the word of God. Indeed, everyone who heard him in faith could not remain the same, could not stay the way they were. Of course, the leaders who did the same who did not accept him in faith, they did not change. They could not understand what all this excitement was all about. But otherwise, what freedom in Christ we receive so that we ourselves become temples of the Holy Spirit in which God dwells intimately. We are built together, too, as living stones into a spiritual house in which God comes to us time and again in the appearance of his holy word. Let's, however, be aware, beloved, that we then indeed must live from the full word in the depth of the whole scripture, and not according to some shallow knowledge of a superficial Christianity as this is so rampant today. Considering the history of the church, we see how the Lord leads His church through depths of misery and through the midst of struggles for the truth in order to deliver for her from such spiritual laxity. Time and again, the covering needs to be taken from our heart. Again and again, the church has to be led to the sources of the truth for our life in the midst of this world. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, Paul says in verse 16, just preceding our text. That's what happened with the simple people in the days of the great reformation. When the great riches of God's own word took the place of human teachings and ideas of men. That's what happened in any following reformation. When the church had declined to a level of a minimum of understanding and insight in the sacrifices of Christ. Then the Holy Spirit of Christ came and brought out from God's word what the church needed in its battle with the powers of darkness then and there. Thus, throughout history and into our time, we see this work of the Spirit reflected in the lives of the believers who find this freedom in Christ. Then I do not need to ask you, beloved, whether you reflect this work of the Spirit in your life. Moses did not know this either of himself, that his face was radiant like the sun. The same is the case with Stephen when he opened the Scriptures in his last speech, taking out of the Word of God old and new treasures. Then his face too was radiant with glory. No, Moses and Stephen did not concern themselves with this question either, concentrated as they were on the word, which was to them of greater value than the finest gold on earth. However, others could see this. Stephen's opponents preferred the darkness of their own insights. To the new and glorious light shining through Stephen's words. Hence, they hated him and remained in the darkness. They did not reflect the glory of the Lord because they did not see the life in the Lord. Today, as well, it happens that those who cannot stand the beauty of the glorious proclamation of the gospel sit there under the preaching, irritated and aggravated, continuing day by day their walk in darkness. Then, of course, you can notice the difference in attitude, in behavior, in conduct. Yes, all around. As I said, Moses did not know it of himself, neither did Stephen, neither do those believers who lived their life in Christ, It's normal, right? Yes, it sure is obvious. For this life of uninhibited freedom for and with the Lord is a life that is changed, says Paul. Changed completely by Christ. Our third point, the freedom by the Lord Jesus Christ. This freedom of Christ, brothers and sisters, in which we may live intimately with God, a freedom in which we are delivered from our sinful past, from our stubbornness of heart, from our self-designed ways, etc., a freedom realized in Christ, this freedom changes us. It changes us completely, Paul explains, In fact, we undergo a transformation, a metamorphosis, literally, it says, as a result of it. Now, to illustrate a metamorphosis, you know of the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly, an ugly-looking animal to a beautiful butterfly. So we continue to change from one degree of glory to another. You have that also in marriage. When husband and wife live intimately with each other, they change each other. Well, would that not happen in our uninhibited freedom of intimacy with God in Christ? It changed Moses to become the meekest of men. He remained vibrant and alert amid a complaining people who were dying under the wrath of God. It made Simon, the son of Jonas, that is the typical son of his father, into a Peter. And Saul into Paul. Levi, the tax collector, changed into the apostle Matthew. His pursuits changed from making money for himself to making converts for the Lord Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, the greedy man, changed into the generous man. It changed Luther and Calvin from Romish subjects to Reformed believers for whom there was nothing more glorious than the Word of God. In the presence of the Lord, however, there also is the change the other way. It hardened Cain. It caused Judas' decline to death. And the stubborn scribes lost it. In the history of the church as well, you see good-natured leaders change to wolves while righteous believers become courageous like lions. However, the congregation of Pentecost, the true children of the Lord, sure change. Why is that change, that metamorphosis so certain, beloved? Because the spirit of faith is also the spirit of renewal. The spirit who brings us in faith to Christ is the Lord himself, who changes us to such a life of freedom in the spirit. He does so when he comes to us in compassion for us, sinners. He does so by breaking through the powers of sin in our life, in our personal life, in our congregational life. He did so with the church at Corinth too. As the apostle points out in chapter 5, that congregation had to be reconciled with God again. That happens in the history of congregations that they need to change, total change, as we know so well also in our Ancaster congregation. When you read the letters to the churches in Asia Minor as well, you will see how much they needed to be changed. Usually, when we think of change, conversion, we think of the world of people outside the church. However, most times when the scriptures uses this word, it pertains to God's covenant people, to the church. To straying church members on whom the Lord has been doing this glorious work for the longest time already, but who neglect or ne- decline or wither in this grace. They must be changed, lest they experience this work in vain. Lest they have believed in vain, as Paul states in his letter to the Galatians. There should be Progress ongoing change into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, when you hear that word, beloved, your hope is stirred, your desire aroused that the treasures of Christ may become manifest in us, that Christ is shown more and more clearly in His people, indeed in you too, Now that hope and desire is not without basis, as our text shows, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He is our guarantee for that. That's how it is, right? You can count on that change from one degree of glory to another for the Spirit who changes us is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He makes us share in the intimate communion with the Father for sure. He has brought you to the Father, reconciled you with the Father, justified you before the Father. He will sanctify you more and more in your walk with the Father, deepen your intimacy with the Father by His Spirit. The Spirit of Christ sets us in the glorious freedom of a life in the intimacy with the Father, so that by our listening to Him, our praying to Him, we also begin to reflect more and more the glory of Him. How? Well, by the change, the Spirit of Christ works in us into the likeness of Christ. Christ showed us the image of God again, and by His Spirit He changes us so that everyone can see that we belong to the devil no longer, but to God. The holiness and glory and obedience of, our, of heaven becomes manifest in us. The Spirit writes the will of God on the tables of our hearts, and that shows... People will see the glorious difference of that. No, not right away, in the full glory, perhaps. Yet from one degree to another, there will be progression. Yes, as he was metamorphosed at the Mount of Transfiguration, at first for the encouragement and comfort on his way to the Father, and permanently after his resurrection and ascension, so he will change the righteous, that they may be shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Hence, beloved congregation, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, neither quench the Holy Spirit. We will be like our Savior when he returns on the clouds. Yes, he will come in glory and make us even like his glorified body. We won't lose this glory either, as happened to Moses, when every time the glory would fade. No, the Spirit abides eternally. Let's hold on to this promise in joyous days and in sorrowful times in struggles and in victories, in disheartening experiences and in exciting moments. In the life of faith, there also are the moments of weakness, the times we transgress the commandments of God, oh, how we mess up and lie and deceive and gossip and slander and hate and quarrel, you name it. How discouraging this is for others and for us. But yet, and yet, as children, we may still go back to God and seek His Holy Spirit to stop this sinning, to seek this change, and to reflect His image again. Then all true believers may be comforted, for Christ is behind it with His Spirit. Yes, Christ is behind them for the lord is the spirit that promise is to you and to your children do you believe this how glorious we will be amen